This is The Guardian. Hast du genug von Werbung, die deine Comedy-Podcast-Party zum Absturz bringt? Gute Nachrichten! Werbefreies Hören bei Amazon Music ist in deiner Prime-Mitgliedschaft enthalten. Geh einfach zu amazon.de slash comedypodcasts, um keine neuen Folgen mehr zu verpassen. Genieße als Prime-Mitglied tausende Acast-Podcasts ohne Werbung. Einige Podcasts enthalten möglicherweise Werbung. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. It's the third round of the Cup weekend, everybody. Remember when the pod was hosted by Gerald Sinstat from the team bus at eight in the morning and the whole family would sit around the sepia-toned iPod to listen? Fast forward to 2024 and there was just enough magic, some great games and some ridiculous goals to make it all worthwhile. Arsenal-Liverpool didn't disappoint. Not being able to score, becoming a recurring theme for the Gunners who missed a lot of chances before Liverpool started to miss lots too before eventually finding a way. Before that, Maidstone, the fairy tale of the round, beating Stevenage, 69 players Places above them on the 4G in Kent. What a nice chap George Alacobi appears to be. Good efforts from Blackpool, Bristol City and Bolton who all earn replays against Premier League sides. Play them before the big boys get replays cancelled altogether. And lots of kicking the ball incredibly hard. Porro, Gibbs-White, Palmer, Estepinan and Bamford. Beyond the cup, let the bucket loads begin for Timo Werner as he joins Ange's revolution. And well done Jordan Henderson who's completed his mission to grow the game in Saudi Arabia and now wants to come back, presumably to reinstate himself as the ally we all thought he was. All that plus your questions and that's today's guardian football weekly on the panel today will unwin welcome good morning max hello barry glendenning hello max rushton hello john bruin hello max let's start the emirates then arsenal nil liverpool two full hand he says if play had continued forever in what year would arsenal have scored i thought i thought this was a brilliant game barry i really enjoyed it i mean the 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 sort of recurring theme that Arsenal can't score is is quite funny, but neither team could really score until one of them did. Yeah, it was a fantastic game, um, and Arsenal's dominance in the the first half and their inability not just to score, but their inability to score in so many different ways. It, it reminded me the you know the famous scene in Pulp Fiction where Jules and Vince are in this apartment and there's a guy hiding in the bathroom. He comes out and sprays him with a hail of bullets and somehow manages to miss. And then one of them inspects the holes in the wall and says, you know, we should be dead. This is a miracle. And they go on to discuss, is it a miracle? Is it a coincidence? Is it fate? Whatever. And I suppose on any other day, we could be discussing a comfortable Arsenal win over exalted opposition at the Emirates. But we're not, and on any other day, you could just put it down to one of those things, but a failure to score goals is is an ongoing problem for Arsenal. They've now they've got one sort of skanky effort against Fulham in their last three games. They've converted one of their last 61 attempts on goal, or shots on, yeah, attempts on goal, and um, it, it is clearly an issue for them. Uh, they've got two weeks off now. Everyone's talking about a reset and, you know, can they fix the problem with some warm weather target practice? We'll find out, I suppose. The goals will come for them again, but at, at the moment it's definitely an issue. But I, I love this game. I really enjoyed it. Mm, Barney Ronnie writing, this was 
At least a beautifully subtle and varied display of attacking impotence. Arsenal failed to score from close in, failed to score from distance, failed to score from the most imaginative angles, failed to score with headers, long shots, one-on-ones. This was an exhibition of total failing to score. Uh, in, in, the, <laughs> in the Premier League, they've scored 37, John, compared to Spurs, who have 42, Villa and Liverpool, 43, and City, 45, over 19 or 20 games. Is that is that significant? It appears to be significant in the sense that, as a result of it, they are slipping behind uh, their objectives. And in a game like Sunday's, where they were the better team for a significant portion of it, uh, <laughs> listen, we've all watched a lot of darts, right, over the uh, last couple of weeks. And there's always this thing, isn't there? You've got to, you've got to put in your doubles, yeah? That's what they always say after them. Well... They're not they're not nailing the doubles, are they, Arsenal? And that's that's the issue for them. And uh, may I also share my enjoyment of this tie uh, to quote John Motson, a crisp, competitive cup tie. One of the good things about the FA Cup is it takes you back sometimes, doesn't it? It really throws you back into the past. And at a certain point, I felt I was about 10 years ago Watching Arsenal under Arsene Wenger, it just felt the same. Just them, their fans groaning as chance after chance misses. Their the post match interview in which the manager claimed that almost hit him with the moral victors. It was all there. It was good to have Arsene Wenger back as Arsenal manager. It was great fun. We've got our Arsenal back. Welcome. Hmm. I, I like the idea of a, a you know a game of an exhibition of. 5-0-1 between Eddie and Ketia and Gabriel Jesus, and they're both on double one for three days yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at, at, at the end of it. Um, but the interesting thing is, Will, like Liverpool sort of saw what Arsenal were doing, missing a lot of chances, and thought, we've got our way of doing that as well. It's not subtle, it's just Darwin Nunes just being around. <laughs> yeah, well, Liverpool are desperate to avoid a replay. I think that was key. So in the first half, they thought, well, we'll just lose and then it's fine. And in the second half, <laughs> actually, we can win this and avoid a replay. So it's a very cunning idea because they, they were terrible in the first half, try, trying to pass it out the back in the most incompetent fashion and whatnot and barely had a barely had a chance on goal apart from Trent Alexander-Arnold. Sorry, Trent. You can't call him Alexander-Arnold. So apologies, apologies to everyone there. And yeah, in the second half, they really picked it up they remembered that they they could attack. Um, they were pretty good going forward. Arsenal, you know, gave them the goal in the end, but they gave them the goal because you have people like Trent who can whip a ball in, and it was very difficult to defend at that front post. Ramsdale, you know, he's not going to get it because of the positioning, and you know, the defenders are lucky that he's had to flick it in. But that's how it goes when you, you know, just managed to hold on. And set pieces are very important. I think you know, is it one in seven goals is a set piece in the Premier League. Well, at least it was last season. So that's what you get. Nunez is is an enjoyable person to watch. You don't know what you're going to get from you know, in good runs in behind, good bit of skill. But yeah, general chaos is what he provides. And without Salah, a bit of chaos will be quite fun for the next few weeks. You know, that was his 29th game of the season, which is quite a feat for a player. But at the same time, it was also good to see that at nil nil nil, Liverpool's changes were bringing on two young lads that made a difference with Bradley and uh, former Su- Sudan manager Lee Clarkson uh, coming on. And they made a difference. And with players missing, with Van Dijk missing for illness, people AFCON and uh, Asia Cup, that bench looks pretty weak yesterday reading it. But it shows that there is some quality there and those players are 
could get more of a chance in the coming weeks, which will be interesting to see for Liverpool, especially with you know, so many competitions to play for at the moment. You know, they're back in action on Wednesday night against Fulham in the League Cup. It's a pretty gruelling period for them, but they have the rhythm that Klopp wants and he was talking about last week. And it was you know, a very good victory in the end to come through the difficult phases to get a couple of goals late on to knock out a Premier League title rival is you know, no mean feat at this stage of the season. In, in the commentary, Alan Shearer kept referring to how neither team wanted a replay. And he said it about three or four times. And I began to wonder what the scenarios were going to be to avoid a replay because Arsenal were never going to get themselves through it became clear. So, yeah, and actually it was an own goal that uh, that started the, you know, the Liverpool's victory. It was this really strange idea. That, I mean, Alan Shearer, um, a traditionalist you'd, you'd expect, what is it about this whole thing? Oh, the last thing you'd want is a replay. Well, what, and, and oh, that's all to do with the fact that they don't get to go to Dubai, isn't it? That they, they don't get to do Dubai, they don't get a round of golf, like maybe the first, couple of days when they get to have a beer on the trip is cancelled. I think Alan Shearer is contractually obliged to do the FA Cup replays so he wants to also to go to Dubai and so he's Yeah, yeah, annoyed, exactly. Yeah. He won't get he's off to Bolton v Luton yeah. now. I mean, I, I I do wonder about replays Baz and, and somebody sent quite a good idea which is, I mean, I, you know, obviously if you're a small club but you're desperate for a replay. We drew at home to Man United, I don't know, probably probably like eight years ago it was now. 20 um, uh 15. 15 was it yes yeah, I, went, I went to the game it was a glorious night of football yeah then the goal was draw yeah, it was, the, yeah, yeah it, was, it was good it was a good great. game yeah yeah it good was game, great yeah. and and um and like we made a million quid from going to old Trafford. like that is life-changing or certainly decade changing for a club like us and thomas frank was saying oh brentford shouldn't have to do replays and i think tim stillman tweeted well, you know five years ago brentford would be like desperate for a replay or 10 years ago you know away at a, a premier league side but somebody came up with this idea that if neither side wants a replay, it goes to penalties. So Arsenal-Liverpool could say, we don't want a replay, either of us. D- didn't I come up with this idea on the radio yesterday, Max? Oh, maybe that. Maybe you did. But then if one of the team wants a replay, then you have to have a replay. Was that your idea? Yeah. Oh, well, that's, uh, that's a really good that's idea. That's what I suggested yesterday. Oh, I... Thanks for calling into the show, Baz. It was kind of... Yeah, weird. you're welcome. Um, Something must have overshadowed that that view you made on the radio show, and everyone's let's not cross the streams. Yeah, I think that's a fair fair thing to do. You know, just ask the clubs before the game or in the run up to the game. You know, do you do you want to replay if it's a draw? If neither of them do, just go straight to penalties. If one of them does, then that's what you get a replay. Um, I think it's. I didn't hear what Thomas Frank said, but if he said Brentford shouldn't have to play replays, that seems quite an arrogant stance. Yeah, I might have misquoted him. Yeah, I might have misquoted him. But yeah, well, I, I I get why he might not want one, but then teams like Brentford, you know, well, I suppose they are getting themselves into to bother relegation bother, but you know, generally mid-table sides in, in the Premier League should be going all out to try and win the FA Cup if you're not in danger of relegation. And then you see some of them feeling under-strength teams and I get that you want to give squad players a run-out, but, you know, I don't think Brentford have much to complain about in the way of fi- fixture congestion. It's not as if they're, you know, battling on numerous fronts. Uh, so if they have to play a replay, tough. If you don't want to replay, win the game. 
It is. Um, Maidstone won. Stevenage nil. Uh, Sam Corn's penalty. Sorry, just before we move on, I presumed the main topic of conversation in the Arsenal-Liverpool chat will be the complete uselessness of a Kai Havertz, but we haven't mentioned it at all. He, but... He's just an FA Cup traditionalist and doesn't want replays. <laughs> and wants, sorry, and wants replays. Why did they buy Kai Havertz? I mean, we'll probably get to it later, but Tottenham seems to be making the same mistake as well. Why would you buy Timo Werner? Why would you buy? Why would you buy? Could be good. I think that one could be good. Hasn't hasn't Kai Havertz found his feet recently? I'm, I'm sure somebody somewhere said. He was starting to. He's left him down the back of the drawer again, hasn't he? But <laughs> he, he maybe he's found them, and he's so happy to have found them. He decided <laughs> to take far too many touches every time the ball came his way yesterday. He's put them in a special yeah. place. He's just forgotten it. That's all. Yeah. Or he's put them on the end of the wrong legs. <laughs> uh, no, he's put them. He's put the wrong ones on the end of his legs. I think not. He's put them on the end yeah, of the wrong sorry. legs. That would <laughs> okay. imply that he's. He also can connect his legs, which maybe he can. Maybe he's some kind of Playmobil Lego type character. Uh, to Maidstone, then, uh, the story of the round, really. They beat Stevenage 1-0, Sam Corn's penalty, uh, just before half time. Tom says, hi, Max. Quick message from a buzzing Maidstone United fan. I remember when we were relegated to the 13th tier of English football back in 1993, a level only just above park football where Maidstone spent... Most of the next 10 to 15 years playing suburbs of Maidstone and to see the team getting to the fourth round for the first time in its 127 year, 127 year history is quite something. I'd love a home draw against the big Premier League team or Spurs in the next round. As you may know, Maidstone have an artificial pitch. And as I understand it, FA Cup rules allow matches to be played on artificial turf. Whose tantrum would be funnier when they realise this? Pep, Arteta, Klopp or Ten Hag? I'm going Klopp for maximum passive-aggressive value. Love the pods. Keep them coming, says Tom in Brighton. I mean, it's such a brilliant story, Barry, isn't it? And and like a Maidstone's history, as Thomas outlined there, is a really interesting one. Yeah. Um, back in 92, they got turfed out of the uh, Football League because they went bankrupt. Um, they didn't have their own ground. They were sharing with Dartford, I think. They used to be managed by Alan Carr's dad, the famous Graham Carr. They ended up in the fourth division of the Kent Counties League. They worked their way back up slowly to the National League, and then they got relegated last season. So they're now in the National League South, which is for for sixth tier. So I guess when they got a home draw, they were like, yes. And then when they got Stevenage, it was boo. But they've won this now. Uh, and, you know, obvious due respect to Stevenage, etc. But um, it was a great win for them. They had to ride their luck. Uh, they have a, a player in Gavin Hoyt on the pitch who who used to play for Trinidad and Tobago. He, he's once shared a pitch with Lionel Messi and famously said the only time he got near him was... Uh, this was a game in Buenos Aires, a friendly thing. He said the only time he got near him was when he stood beside him at a corner. Um, but, yeah, there's lots of good little stories there. Uh, they're, they're a Phoenix team, basically. Um, and we were lucky enough to have their, I think, chief executive, Bill Williams, on yesterday, who's been through it all with them. He's seen, you know, the absolute lows and this super high. And he, he was a really fascinating character, a great talker. Uh, he's 81 years old he'd been out disco dancing half the night but he's still good enough to come on and chat to us on the radio yesterday I think their last big cup shock was uh, our success they beat Stevenage 
2014. So that was their sixth game in this cup campaign. Uh, they played three qualifiers and then beat Chesham, Barros, Stevenage. And George Alakobi, their manager, you know, I, I hadn't given him a second thought in years, um, but he obviously wants to go to Molyneux to face his old club Wolves. Um, Mr. Williams wants a draw against Newcastle because he's a fan. Interestingly, Maidstone actually nearly relocated. They wanted to relocate to the northeast many years ago when they were in the doldrums, but uh, they weren't allowed to. That could be, you know, if they got Newcastle, that could conceivably have been a derby. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a great story and, and fair play to them. I really hope they get a, a good draw. And, well, I mean, this... It was so FA Cup third round this game, you know, like the the chances that Stevenage missed and like the last two minutes of injury time where literally every Mason player is just kicking it as high and as far as they possibly can. I mean, we also need to mention the fact that for the penalty, the goal scorer did have tissue up his nose as well, which is gloriously, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good point. gloriously third round FA Cup. It's what we need. I mean, obviously, this is all a bit of a con from Maidstone. Their goalkeeper played for Brazil under twenties. Right? He, he must be good. He must. <laughs> he would have played with some great players. They're, they're just, you know, it's just all the front, isn't it? They're actually they've got people that played against Messi, Brazil internationals. It's the farce. Yeah, I think. I think actually, previously we really enjoyed muddy pitches, and that was a great leveler. Now, actually, perfect. Uh, fake pitches are the great leveller because other teams don't know how to play in them. The ball bounces a bit too high, maybe. Whizzes off them. I think when you win, 1-0 is the perfect score. Having the ball bounce off the bar, post, every sort of limb and whatnot was great. The place up packed up bouncing. It was fantastic for everyone to see. Um, and as we say, hopefully they get Wolves in the in the next round for George Ellico because he he seems such a lovely man afterwards. He's you know you won't mess with him still. He he's kept up with his fitness. It's fair to say. Obviously, it does involve Wolves having to get through a replay. So apologies to everyone at Wolves for that. But yeah, it was a it was it looked like a, a good day out, and hopefully they'll be able to to t- take that on the road or drag some Premier League giant back to back to Maidstone because. Yeah, that's what this is what the FA Cup is all about. Teams avoiding replays, one, and getting, you know, the smallest team left getting through to the fourth round, which is exciting to see. And that that kind of was the the magic y bit, John, wasn't it? You I mean you had you had these almost there were so many almosts, weren't there? You know, like Eastleigh getting a draw at not Newport County's great result, Chesterfield being one up at Watford, um Blackpool being 2-0 up at Forest and QPR being 2-0 up on Bournemouth, but none of them could quite Cape Cambridge, Max, being oh, ahead yeah. twice against Blackburn. I Don't know. forget that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, f- funny enough, uh, uh, as you might discuss, um, I was actually in Kent. I was in Gillingham uh, and sat next to the chap from the Kent Messenger. And, of course, you realise that the Kent, big Kent story was happening with Maidstone rather than Gillingham. <laughs> so there was a bit of, uh, well, a, a bit of excitement with for them, but obviously thinking they've missed the story. Um, yeah, uh, Chesterfield, who I uh, you know, did a piece on for uh, Saturday's paper, uh, yeah, it looked like they might be the ones, didn't it, for a while. Had a, had a chat with uh, Robin Cowan about it, saying how close it was. And yeah, it, it that, was, that was a shame, that, because I think Chesterfield fancied they had a chance there. Um, you know, when you have clubs in the the top two divisions, you expect them to rest, and then the lower league cha- team six have got a chance. But 
it didn't quite come off, did it? And I think only two teams not in the draw from the Premier League. I think Burnley and Arsenal, I think that's right. Um, obviously, Manchester United can always come through and uh, deliver the, uh, well, the giant killing of themselves. Uh, that's that's always possible. But yeah, um, the Cup of Dreams, as uh, we as we've referred to it a couple Absolutely. of years ago. The Cup of Dreams, yeah. it, it delivered dreams, but not quite the fairy tale. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Morgan Gibbs' white goal was brilliant. Um, uh, Daniel Grimshaw, oh, yeah. a number of a number of goalkeepers made some brilliant saves in in, in the third round. Daniel Grimshaw made a save from Ryan Yates um, uh, late on that meant Blackpool got a replay. Maybe I was the only person to realise that's where Azmir Begovic is when I saw him uh, picking the ball out of the net for QPR. But he had quite a good game in that uh, win for Bournemouth, didn't he? Um, West Ham, Bristol City, that's a great result, Barry, for Bristol City to get a replay there. Yeah, that looked like a really good game. Obviously, I, I only saw highlights. Um, weirdly, there was there was only one game shown live on UK TV in on Sunday afternoon out of, what, nine there was one on the button, on the red button. Yeah, it was on the button. Uh, this must have been some sort of uh, technological experiment. And like you, uh, I, I, I ended up watching uh, Boreham Wood v York City, by me, which was good fun. But uh, until someone pointed me to the fact that it was on iPlayer. Um, yeah, it wasn't the best advertising, that really, was it? Yeah, yeah I, I presume there'd be a, a, an array to choose from, but there wasn't. Anyway, but West Ham Bristol City looked really, really good. Lucas Paqueta with another wonder pass to to set up Jared Bowen, who does anyone bring a football down as well as Jared Bowen? His touch is just absolutely is. incredible. Yeah. So I, I just seem to recall him on so many occasions. I mean, I'd say Berbatov. Berbatov is the king of just controlling goal kicks out of the sky with even more grace. You know, he's like an effective Havertz, Berbatov, I would would say. (laughs) Whereas whereas Bowen is a bit busier about it. But I don't don't dismiss your point. I mean, I remember Jared Bowen. I think I've mentioned this before, talking about working on his fitness on his dad's farm in Hereford. And I think I, I imagine him just having someone launch balls at him. Uh from distance in a ploughed field and he's just bringing them down. Someone launching a cabbage at him. (laughs) (laughs) Although a cabbage, if I remember this, I remember distinctly, do you remember someone threw a cabbage at Steve Bruce? Yes. It it, it came apart as it approached him. So it's sort of like cabbage shrapnel in the Steve Mm. Bruce mullet yeah i was filming i was filming something where it was the piece was going to finish with someone throwing a cabbage at my head and then it transpired that cabbages are really heavy (laughs) and so so actually if you were practicing your control with cabbages every time you controlled it it would stop dead so i don't think it's a i don't think it would be helpful in your footballing so you need need a more bouncy vegetable yeah you need a bouncier vegetable yeah (laughs) Um, anyway, a rolled up hay bale or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Jar- Jared Bourne's ability to take down a football and just kill it is second to none, as far as I can tell. And uh, he scored a, a brilliant goal. Tommy Conway scored a, a good goal for, for Bristol City, running on to a lovely through ball from Joe Williams. Oh, that pass was amazing. That yeah, pass from oh, Joe Williams incredible. was Through the eye of an eagle. Bristol City keeper Max O'Leary was was outstanding. There were 
great chances for both teams and it looked like an absolute ding-dong of a cup tie. Mm. Uh, also, well done to Bolton, who got a goalless draw at Luton. Uh, so they get a replay as well. And a word on the other non-league side that was still in it, Aldershot. They did get hammered by West Brom. It was nice and sunny. Um, it featured miss of the round from Leighton Love, clean through and then kicking it almost over the stadium for West Brom. Um, but Tommy Woodrington, their manager, uh, seemed quite... The Aldershot manager seemed quite happy afterwards. They scored. That was nice. Their fans celebrated and they had a, you know, they had a really good cup run. So well done to Aldershot. Um, hopefully that didn't sound too patronising. And that'll do for part one. Part two, uh, we'll begin at the Stadium of Light. Hast du genug von Werbung, die deine Comedy-Podcast-Party zum Absturz bringt? Gute Nachrichten. Werbefreies Hören bei Amazon Music ist in deiner Prime-Mitgliedschaft enthalten. Geh einfach zu amazon.de slash comedypodcasts, um keine neuen Folgen mehr zu verpassen. Genieße als Prime-Mitglied tausende Acast-Podcasts ohne Werbung. Einige Podcasts enthalten möglicherweise Werbung. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Ryan says, has a team ever been as accommodating to their derby rivals as Sunderland were for Newcastle? Decorated their own stadium in black and white, opened the scoring for them, gifted them a second and a third before letting them take a nice team photo on the pitch. Very generous um, to you, Barry. Yeah, this this was a very disappointing performance from Sunderland. You know, in the build-up to the game, Newcastle are obviously on this dismal run of form. They've got this draw, this horrible draw for them at the stadium alike because I wouldn't say everyone was expecting them to win, but if they'd have lost, it would have been embarrassing for them. I think it would have ramped the pressure up on Eddie Howe. And everyone sort of fancied Sunderland to give them a good game, and that just didn't happen. Um, Sunderland, I don't know, they're a young side. I don't know if they're a bit overwhelmed by the occasion because many of them will never have played in an atmosphere like that. But uh, they didn't really get anything resembling a foothold in the game until after they were 2-0 down. And even then they were restricted to pot shots from distance, a couple of which could could have gone in. Um, I think Martin de Bradford got a bit lucky from a Pierre Equa shot that sort of he dived and it hit his foot. Um, You could either say it was a very lucky save or a brilliant save. And it was Equa, that that came moments after Equa had gifted uh, Newcastle their second goal. And then Dan Ballard, who had a very strange game insofar as he scored an own goal, which wasn't really his fault, there wasn't much he could do about it. He also conceded a penalty. He was very lucky not to concede a second penalty and uh, was also one of Sunderland's best players. So I think that tells you all you need to know about Sunderland's performance, that one of their best players uh, scored no goal and conceded a penalty. It might sound ridiculous, Will, to say it, it felt good that Newcastle still really cared about this game. Because I think, I guess, some derbies become sort of pity derbies, you know, when there's a, a big golf. And I know Sunderland aren't doing badly in the championship, but these teams are in totally different realms now. So it did feel important to me that Newcastle gave a shit but I guess Newcastle fans will say, well, of course we do. This is this game is so historical for us. We haven't played it for years. It was an absolute sellout. You could hear the Sunderland fans every time. It was like Longstaff had about five chances he kept missing and the Sunderland fans were getting very excited about it. But I was sort of pleased to see that they still cared about it. Well, yeah, they had to put out a strong team purely on the basis of their form recently. This is what they've got left to play for. So that played into the hands of it. But it is, you know, 
it's a sort of microcosm of football. It's all very close, quite tight. You know, you'll know a lot of each other, fans from each the other clubs, and on top of that, everyone that ever sees a Newcastle player at the supermarket for the first for two weeks prior to that is going to be in their ear telling them that they need to be up for it. Eddie Howe knows the importance of derbies and that if they did lose, as Barry said, it would be a problem for him. But the whole pressure, at, you know, at the moment with pretty average form at Newcastle would have been ramped up, and you know the the weird attempts at welcoming and welcoming them from Sunderland in the build-up were very odd, and so, you know having a bit of needle and doing the selfie afterward, the photo afterwards in, in front of the away fans, it's good fun. You know, when these derbies don't come around as often as you may like because the other team's in a different division, it doesn't make the rival any different. You know, it's not like Sunderland playing a 5,000-seater stadium just down the road. It's, it's a massive ground. It's a massive club packed out and silencing, silencing them is as much fun as silencing any Premier League team because you know how much they hate you. And it was... And it, you know, apart from the fact that Sunderland was so meek in that first half until it got to two 0 was, you know, probably the, the only negative for Newcastle that it was a bit easier than they might want it to be. They might have wanted a bit more in, in your face from Sunderland early on, but they did the, their job well. They played well, and you know they'll be looking at that as a springboard for what comes next after, you know, with Man City coming up. So it'll be an interesting one if they can build on it. The build up to this game, mm. I. Uh... And, and Barry wrote a, a, a piece for this on a Football Daily about uh, Sunderland's you know, redecoration of their uh, facilities. Now, I understand why they did this, because I went to Cardiff, Swansea about 10 years ago, and Ellis could tell you about this, where they, you know, where they kettle fans in, in buses, and then when you get into the ground, you they painted it in maybe neutral colours at that time, or the colours of Swansea, to make sure that you don't rip the place down. Mm. And I pointed this out to the local reporter, uh, um, who I know, and uh, on Twitter, and I received a deluge of people saying, but you can't do that, you know, you can't... And, and I did think, isn't this rivalry a bit silly, and I'm accused of not knowing anything about the North East, about football rivalry, or being a football fan, or anything like that. And I do think about this, that maybe because maybe I'm uh, moving on in years... Uh, that maybe, or maybe because of the, the profession that I'm in, uh, I don't take it as seriously as some people. But when I look at that, and I think people were saying things like, "Well, uh, that's what we've got stewarding for." Yeah. Well, the thing is, if you're a steward uh, and you are involved in um, an incident, you can still be on an assault charge. If someone gets arrested for vandalising stuff, the the money. Uh, the overtime is charged by the police to the club and all this kind of thing. And I think that's what they attempted to do. Now, I'm sure they went completely over the top and it felt there was a bit of devilment, wasn't there, in paint, getting rid of Howey and Howey and uh, cheer up Peter Reid and all that stuff. I suspect a Newcastle-based contractor was called in to do this job. But I understand why they tried to dampen this yeah. thing down. And I do think... And I, I, you know, and, and this is football. Maybe we all need to grow up a bit. Even I've managed to grow up. You're talking to someone who still has a um, a tattoo of Russell Beardsmore 
on their bottom. Yeah, no, 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 you're, 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 no, you're, no. There's someone who still has a sort of almost Pavlovian reaction to someone wearing a Liverpool yeah. shirt. You're talking to someone who, in in the in the 30s, me and my mates are in West Park, Macclesfield, and found a Liverpool shirt and we burned it. Yeah? In my 30s, <laughs> That's I mean, you know, I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. I've been a football journalist for years at that point. But what I'm saying is, I get it. But yeah. come on. Do you know what? I I can kind of see your point of view, John. In that I'm getting old and I care increasingly less about this kind of, you know, fanaticism. But my understanding is that this rebranding was done in yeah, in really, a corporate yeah, was, hospitality area, which was going to be full yeah. of Newcastle fans paying six hundred pounds a head, and were unlikely to, you know, turn the place into a Western saloon bar brawl. And you know, by all means take down some of the Sunderland branding, but you don't have to put up Newcastle branding, you know. No, no, I agree with that. But, I mean, the, the overall point, I think, was to try and neutralise this behaviour. And the reaction, I was like, well, they should... They should. It was as if you couldn't... No-one could be trusted to do this. And it was almost as if that was expected. And I... I'm sorry, I... I, I mean, listen, I've never been involved in football violence or anything like that, but... Sometimes you just take a step back and you think, really? Come on. As far as I know, they certainly used to. I don't know if they still do, but Brighton, when they opened the Amex, they would light the away end in the colours of the visiting team. And in the bars would sell, so say if Newcastle were in town, which was the game I was at, my only time at the Amex, they were selling Newcastle Brown Ale. Uh, You know, they'd sell the, the, the local hooch of whatever team was visiting I presume just as a nice gesture or whatever. I don't recall anyone ever getting particularly upset mm. about that. My, my, it, it's it's not quite the same, but obviously there are loads of stories about, you know, Tottenham fans who wouldn't buy a JBC telly and Arsenal fans who wouldn't drink Holston pills. But um, Paul Hawksby tells this story that uh, he did a phone-in on this and um, and uh, an Aston Villa fan was with his family. I may have told this story before, but Aston Villa fans with his family, right? The pissing rain on the motorway late at night and gets a uh their windscreen gets you know a bird flies into the windscreen right and it's smashed and they're waiting for hours by the side of the road and then the man comes from auto windscreens to fix the the <laughs> to fix the windscreen he says nope i can't have a birmingham sponsor fixing this windscreen we'll wait for someone else <laughs> Blimey, that, that, that is real commitment to the cause isn't it uh anyway um uh, rex and one one at shrewsbury um i i mean it's they are the league below I mean, surely we had so many chances yeah. <laughs> in this game. Like, like you know, this is Wrexham absolutely got away with this. I mean, surely we should have won about a hundred nil, Baz. Yeah, uh, it was remarkable how many chances they missed, and the Wrexham goal wasn't pretty, but they all count. It certainly wasn't uh, Bamford uh, style uh, finish. Uh, we'll get to him, but um, I had no idea that the Shrewsbury manager is... Um, what's his name? I've now forgotten. Portsmouth's Matty Taylor. <laughs> Portsmouth's Matty Taylor, yes. Uh, so, yeah, another blast from the past. I, I like that about the third round. You get a lot of blasts from the past. Uh, former Sunderland, uh, inverted commas, legend, and Scotland international. He scored Eastley's in, uh, equaliser. But, um, yeah, quite how Shrewsbury con- contrived to lose that game is is remarkable. But... You know, hopefully Wrexham will get a big draw in the uh, 
fourth round because they have been somewhat starved of publicity and <laughs> and finances in recent seasons. I think welcome to Wrexham won an Emmy last night. I think um, so. Uh, well, 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 done, well done to them. Good day for them. Absolutely, or a Golden Globe or so, some sort of thing. Um, uh, you were at Gillingham for the to see Sheffield United win a game, John. I'm afraid that we don't really, not really a lot we need to say about it. Apart from I enjoyed the the Gillingham defending for one of James McAtee's goals, where they just all they all just disappeared. It was like the Red Sea, wasn't it? Yeah, he he really enjoyed himself. Very talented player. Obviously, playing a maybe a, f- a few levels uh, against t- players below his level, and he enjoyed it. Um, what did he enjoy about this? Uh, good uh, indie pre-match thing, including our friends the Cortinas, um, and uh, being quite close to hear Chris Wilder screaming at his team. Oh. I'd oh, be very afraid if I was a Sheffield United player. And also post-match in which he was asked, you know, will you be taking the lads away to Dubai or whatever? Nope. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, two weeks working hard on the training ground. So good luck, Sheffield United players. You're in for a treat. Uh, Will, you were at Stoke for Stoke 2, Brighton 4, of which Pervis Estepinian's goal was the highlight, certainly for me anyway. Yeah, it turns out that just whacking the ball really hard from distance with a very good left foot, a cultured left foot, because all left foot left footed players are cultured, is a good idea. You know, he's, the Brighton were pretty dominate possession, but we're playing at about seventy five percent of the general tempo they should be. But if you score a goal in the fifth minute of stoppage time in the first half, when from nothing, from a ball coming out to the edge of the box, because your left back is really, really good at football. And kicking the ball very, very hard, then it you know kickstarted the momentum. They conceded a penalty to take it back to two two, but they're just far too much quality. The main thing I took out of it was I was very surprised to find out that former Aston Villa striker Wesley plays for Stoke. Yes, and that was his nineteenth appearance of the season, and he's yet to score. And he's yet to score because he's the most immobile forward I've seen in the professional game. He could not move. It was an issue That's for him. Tremendous, and also. Mamadi Sidibe's 16-year-old son came off the bench for Stoke, which, which was fantastic. Mamadi, who... Uh, I think he's yeah. played before. I think he's played yeah, before. Yeah, I saw yeah. him early this season. It was his yeah. uh, fourth yeah. appearance or something. His father still owns a bakery in, in, in Stoke or the vicinity of. So, oh, yeah, amazing. it did make me feel very old. I was going to say, does that make you feel older than Danny Kadamatri's son? Because, like, you know, as we've already established, Danny Kadamatri can only be 22 himself. I keep thinking that's Danny Kadamatri. <laughs> <laughs> Not his son. Um, I also, uh, on, on names, um, Watford's equaliser was set up by someone called Yasser Aspria, and I did check. He's no relation to Tino Aspria. Um, finally, for part two, Andrew says, did the absence of VAR in most of the games highlight how pernicious and unnecessary a tool it actually is? There was football, there were referees and fans, it was entertainment, and it worked. Baz? I I think so, yeah. I, I Well, I didn't enjoy the Newcastle or Sunderland-Newcastle game, but I think if VAR had been employed for that game, it would still be going on. Um, because there were some quite meaty challenges and uh, decisions that, if VAR had got involved, it could have taken ages. Um, there's one in particular that springs to mind. Uh, it was a, a penalty call 
Um, the Ballard on Isaac penalty call, that one. Ba- Ballard on Isaac, yeah. And then there was another one as well, I think a potential handball. But um, please excuse my bad memory, but there's so much football over such a you know short space of time. There was, you know, just the refs were making decisions. Some of them were a bit contentious. Some of them were wrong, but, you know, it wasn't the end of the world. And if VAR had been involved, there'd still have been contentious decisions and some of them would still have been wrong. So, but look, it's here. It's not going away. So just have to enjoy the, the games we see where it isn't involved. At Stoke, Lewis Dunk got done for a handball. It was a header from a couple of yards away for corner. Looked like it might have hit another part of Dunk's body before hitting his hand. His, heart, his arm was outstretched. You know, definitely hit his hand. Paul Tierney, who's one of the Premier League's you know, more highly rated referees overall, gave it straight away. There was a bit of moaning, and then everyone gave up, and they took the penalty. It was quite, it was quite nice. Just to, you saw two replays. You, know, you get a little screen in the press box. You get a couple of replays like, yeah, maybe, whatever. Looks, it's justifiable. That's fine. Take the penalty. Everyone moved on. I mean, you you had six minutes of injury time through injuries at, in both halves uh, at Stoke. So I quite enjoyed the fact that it was really quick, no messing about. It was a handball that really made me angry. But you're right, I didn't have time to get even angrier because they didn't show me a thousand replays of it. Anyway, that'll do for part two. Uh, we'll begin part three with Patrick Bamford. Hast du genug von Werbung, die deine Comedy-Podcast-Party zum Absturz bringt? Gute Nachrichten. Werbefreies Hören bei Amazon Music ist in deiner Prime-Mitgliedschaft enthalten. Geh einfach zu amazon.de slash comedypodcasts, um keine neuen Folgen mehr zu verpassen. Genieße als Prime-Mitglied tausende Acast-Podcasts ohne Werbung. Einige Podcasts enthalten möglicherweise Werbung. Welcome to Part 3 of the Guardian Football Weekly. Jay says, why is Patrick Bamford not on that plane? After that goal, uh, Wayne, how good was it to see A, Patrick Bamford score a worldie after two awful years, B, for it to be against Peterborough? Um, he said afterwards, it was a nice goal. A goal's a goal. I'd be equally happy if I scored a tap-in. But, John, that was absolutely joyous, that goal, wasn't it? Oh, it's a beauty, yeah. It's it's goal of the season, surely. Um, although, yeah, hang on. Is that a better goal than Garnacho? I'm saying... I think so. I, I think, think it is, yeah. I think there's less fortune involved in Bamford's. That's all skill. The problem with Garnacho's thing is he keeps trying it and he's diluting how good that goal yes. that goal is. Yeah. Whereas whereas Bamford, he's not going to get the opportunities. I mean that just the take and the, oh yeah. It's a it's a you know, it needs it needs a seventies crowd, it needs the Advert selling Rizzler and you know Bass Bitter or whatever, and a Barry Davis commentary to make it you know an all time classic. It's that sort of vintage of goal, isn't it? It's absolutely beautiful, and and the hair, the hair as well is amazing. Yeah, I think there, there's probably people listening who haven't seen it, so it's kind of a long diagonal to what five or six yards outside the penalty area from Ethan Ampadu. He takes it down at the very top of his chest and then in one move turns and spanks a volley with his left foot. Brilliant technique straight into the back of the net. And you know it's brilliant when his own players put their hands on their... or his own teammates put their hands on their heads with disbelief. Opposition players put their hands on their heads (laughs) reacting with disbelief. 
and one of the Peterborough stewards actually does a fist pump. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's something about a centre-forward just chesting one out of the sky anyway, let alone then swivelling and absolutely melting this ball. And like, he, he doesn't have time to look at the goal. He's just, it's all sort of it's in, instinct, but just pure quality. And he's got that, Bamford. Like, he's got that ability. I know there was sort of talk a few years ago of whether he would be the player you'd put put on that plane if Harry Kane, you know, just in case Harry Kane got injured because he can bring others into play. He's already had a really rough time of things. And yeah, I think everyone was utterly delighted to see that go in. Uh, Ethan Ampadu had never scored in English football before and scored two and set that one up, but no one's talking about it because he didn't do what Patrick Bamford did. I was going to say, we taught Patrick Bamford all he knows, of course, after he, uh, yeah, after he may or show. may not have attended our Leeds show. Mm. Uh Unconfirmed. Yes. Unconfirmed. And if he want, if he did go, he will have heard the story you told, John, that can never be told again. That's true. Um, yes. uh, another good goal was Pedro <laughs> Pedro Porro's brilliant goal for Spurs against Burnley. I, I thought that would be the goal of the round until Bamford and a couple of others um, absolutely smashed that ball in. But I mean, the more interesting stories are, are about Spurs are transfer based. Edward says, "Are Spurs?" basing their management hires and player recruitment on your hot takes on the pod, Max. James, is Ange bringing in Timo Werner the most Max transfer ever? Hashtag bucket load. Sebo saying there are a few things funnier than Timo Werner scoring the buckets he was meant to for Chelsea at Spurs. I can't think of those funnier things right now, but I'm I'm sure they exist. John, you're not... I think this is a really good purchase. You can't really buy anyone in January. He really is... He's incredibly quick. He he needs a manager who loves him, and like uh, you know, and that's what Ange will do. Yeah, and yeah, just, yeah, yeah. And I just think he'll, just think he'll score buckets. <laughs> no, no, I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, Ange's a good re- repairer of players, isn't he? That's true. That's true. He's like the repair shop. People, I've brought you in Timo yeah, Werner, yeah. and then Ange delicately takes a whittle to him and a, and a lathe or whatever, and he comes back and he's fully RB Leipzig. I've got you a V8 Ute. What can you do with it? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, he... Uh, I suppose the thing is, though, that there is a slight element that Timo is uh, damaged goods in that he can't get into the Germany team at the moment. Now, I think we're all agreed, and you always write them off at your peril, but this is not a great Germany team. Uh, and uh, that's part of the move. It's he's he's trying to put himself in the in the window, so to speak, into Julian Nagelsmann's uh, attraction. Uh, it's his um, eye line by moving to the Premier League. But and I, and I, I agree with this point actually. He's he has the pace. He has the positional awareness that we're probably working in Anne's team. Does he have the finishing skills? Well, anyone who watched him play at Stamford Bridge. Uh, over those couple of years, we'll know that finishing is not his great, is not his uh, strongest point, but uh, he is a cult hero at Chelsea. Um, for actually playing <laughs> not very anymore, well, not anymore. The, he's not, I imagine. Well, I yes, imagine that, 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 yeah, that that cult may have reached its end. Yes, uh, for playing very very well uh, when they reached the Champions League final, one of course played a big part on that night. Signing a striker that's known for missing a lot. They always mm. tend to miss a lot, don't they? That, that, when, when they? Yes, you might be right. No, but as you say, Max, there's not a lot else out there and Spurs do need bodies in because it, it would appear Madison, his injury is quite serious and uh, Son isn't going to be back till, we, we don't know, mid-February it could be. So, yeah. It's a more sensible loan signing than Vukovic or last yes. season. So at least he looks like he might be a pending player and might fit into the system. So fair play to Tottenham on that, that 
they've acted swiftly and signed up. I was hoping Big Sir Jim might get Big Val back. You know, it could. Uh... You do need a centre back, to be fair. So he could, could be, could be, could, could be put in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, what do you make of uh, Eric Dyer to Bayern Munich? Um, that sort of made my eyes, <laughs> my eyebrows. I raised my eyebrows slightly when I heard it. Do, do you think his? Do you think Harry Kane's hotel room will have an adjoining door to Eric Dyer's? Harry, Harry's moved. Unfortunately, I don't think Bayern will put Eric Dyer in the same quality hotel room. Well, Harry, Harry Kane rented sure. one of the houses of someone out on loan, or someone Bayern have sold. So maybe, like, maybe the pool, the pool house will be for Eric, and it'll sort of be like Kirby enthusiasm. Pops in every day, you know. It's just nice to have friends there, isn't it? You know, Dyer's a perfectly competent centre back, maybe not a top six level at this stage of his career. But, you know, you don't have to be for most of the league games for buying. You can have quite a relaxed time. He seems like a relatively decent bloke. Speaks a couple of languages, yeah. You know, if you're not going to use him at Spurs, you might as well have a change of scenery in Munich, probably play about half the league games and get a winner's medal at the end of the season. I think it's a brilliant move for him. And I think he will be, I think he's kind of loved by Tottenham fans because, like you say, he's a good guy. He's been a great servant. He's clearly not an Angers fans. But, the, you know, it would be so wonderful for him and his career to go somewhere and he like he could come away with a league title and a champions league winners medal it's not inconceivable if you go to to buy me and, and he's quite a, 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 as will said that's a good point he's a, quite a cultured lad do you think mm. he's going to take you know him and harry will do a few galleries or you know just hang out in the tear garden i mean it's beautiful it's that's one of the most beautiful yeah. parks in in the yeah, world yeah I'd say they could they could go down the U-Bahn and look at my blue plaque. My <laughs> <laughs> good. Simon says, um, judging by how just how quickly Jordan Henderson's completed his mission to grow the game successfully in Saudi Arabia, how quickly would he get the economy growing again if we made him Chancellor of the Exchequer? Yeah, this is the news, Barry, that um, Jordan Henderson turns out isn't that excited playing in front of sparse crowds in a poorly managed uh, Aletifac. Yeah, it seems to be a... A genuine story. It's been sort of fed to lots of the Liverpool correspondents. Um, I think Matt Hughes broke it in the Daily Mail. He he's generally on the ball, um, and it just seems like poor old Jordan really didn't do his due diligence before going to to Saudi Arabia. He he seems surprised that it's quite hot and muggy out there. Uh, that Ella Etifak aren't drawing big crowds i think their average crowd is seven thousand. often they play in front of quite an, a smaller number than that the team isn't performing well steven gerrard's job is under threat steven gerrard's assistant has has just left to go and manage plymouth and so it's all going wrong for jordan and i think you know people make bad decisions and they're entitled to change their minds but if he does come back he will of course be pilloried because of the whole lgbtq plus business where he's uh the hypocrisy he's shown and uh members of that community have have accused him of betrayal and i think they're perfectly entitled to and so if he does come back where where does he go i think uh, there has been talk linking him with a, a move to Newcastle, which <laughs> would be interesting considering he's a, a Sunderland lad born and bred. And uh, that would be another misstep, um, which would make him even more popular. I presume he also still fancies his chance of getting 
in the England squad uh, for the Euros and I would imagine that is unlikely to happen unless he comes back to the Premier League. Hmm. I mean, I guess the point is, John, he's he, like he was playing quite regularly in the Premier League not that long ago. And in pure footballing terms, you know, he's super experienced. He is a good person in the dressing room. Um, and all those things would help quite a lot of Premier League sides, you'd imagine. Yeah, I suppose if, you, if you're if you a struggling team, you, you want to maybe add a player of experience. I suppose that there's this question of how much is left in Jordan Henderson's legs. It's clear that uh, Liverpool didn't feel there was. Uh, and uh, uh, Jürgen Klopp and Henderson had a chat, which was essentially, listen, you're not going to be the first choice next season. That sped the decision up. But in the Premier League, you need legs, don't you? And um, is he going to be one of these players that when they get a bit old, they just do a lot of pointing rather than actual running? I suppose one thing is, actually, it could be a boost to the economy if he comes back because uh, he'll be faced with a fairly enormous tax bill. So this could be the lift that Rishi needs, <laughs> uh, the, the return of Jordan Henderson with his wages. Actually, I, I'm, I'm struggling to think of a club who would, you know, you maybe a forest or someone like that that... But where he'd fit in, but it's going to be difficult. Uh, also, his wages are not going to be high, are they? Does he, does he need the money, I suppose? Um, and as Barry said, um, the hypocrisy that he was accused of, that interview with um, Adam Craft and David Ornstein, which didn't really further his cause particularly much, it, it, it backfired a bit. I, I would say it made it worse. Yes, no, no, yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> um He's got a lot of rowing back to do. Uh, a, a good luck to him because, I, I, listen, I don't think Jordan Henderson is a, a bad person in any sense, but I think miss a misfire, a misadventure, um, and it could be a useful play for somebody, but um, it's a, it's an embarrassment, really, for him to have to come back after so little time, really. And, of course, there's every chance that Etifak won't let him come back because it would be an embarrassment for for them and the Saudi league, if he left this quickly. Yeah, in which case, best of luck. <laughs> I think you're probably right. Um, uh, can I point you in the direction of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly? News of another ACL. Sam Kerr, obviously one of the best players in the league and the world, um, did her ACL uh, uh, out at a sort of summer uh, training camp Yeah, with Chelsea, which is devastating news for her. It's not her first ACL, I don't think. Um, and they were discussing that amongst uh, all the other things uh, going on in the women's game. Uh, finally, some Pascal Chimbonda news, Will. Obviously, you've been following Skelmersdale United. Uh, he is their manager. And uh, 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 here is a statement um, regarding uh, his five-match stadium ban. Um, following today's personal hearing, the FA Appeal Board agreed by majority that the five-match stadium ban originally imposed on Pascal Chimbonda to be excessive. In order to give effect to this decision, the Appeal Board have now issued Pascal with a three-match touchline ban and have issued him with a £50 fine. Although we believe the punishment is still excessive, we're much happier with the outcome. This will allow Pascal to continue working, whereas the original ban, had it been upheld, would have prevented him from doing so. Providing there aren't any postponements over the next few games, Pascal will be able to return to the dugouts in time for our away game at Gig Lane Berry. In other news, Pascal is now registered as a player and we could see, <laughs> indeed see him play against Berry on Saturday the 27th of January. Um, so does that mean he can't... Does the ban still last for three games? Or can he register as a player and therefore... Put himself play? on the bench. Yeah. I, I... But can't sit on the bench, but maybe if he wants to come, he can just run straight from the yeah, changing yeah, yeah, rooms yeah. out onto the pitch. 
it's not as good as I originally thought. I thought they were. I I think this is the same band. It's the same length of band. It'd be much more fun if uh, in that other news. Uh, he could come on and just play the next. I hope game. he's coughed up the fifty quid. Yeah, I'm sure he will have done. You you chatted to Pascal. Yeah. He's a man of yeah, honour. He, well, he, he's not. Well, he, I've got an exclusive of whether he is or not. Okay. So when I went to the game against Kendall Town, I was in earshot of Pascal and the Kendall Town chairman, and they had a bit of back and forth. This did make it into my piece, and the Kendall Town chairman said, "Well, you know." It's your first game, you know, but we're playing you in December. If you you beat us, I'll buy you dinner. And if we we beat you, you buy me dinner. And that, that game uh, obviously took place in December. Kendalltown won. And the Kendalltown chairman is yet to hear from Pascal about the dinner. Wow. Not not even got a mint cake out of it, yeah. <laughs> so he, he wants a steak dinner at Miller and Carter of... I can tell you that exclusively. What's what's Miller and Carter? I take it's not like Frankie and Benny's. It's a it's a sort of steakhouse chain of I would describe as mid range. A mid range steakhouse chain. That's exactly. Is is it better or worse than Angus? I take I take better. <laughs> better than the Aberdeen Angus red the red signage. Okay, that's good. That you've never seen anyone go in or come out of. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I don't know anyone who's ever eaten in one of them, but they always appear to be full. Yeah, but you've never seen anyone come out of there, have you? <laughs> Are you saying yeah. they're all actors? Is this a conspiracy? <laughs> oh no, you've never seen anyone come out, but it's full. Have they been in there forever? Like, do they need? Yeah. Do they need rescuing? That like you need to need a negotiator standing outside all the Abbey Angus steakhouses going. <laughs> We'll get you out of here. Uh, anyway, that'll do for today, I imagine. Um, uh, thank you so much, Will. Thank you very much, Max. Uh, thank you, Barry. Thanks, Max. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. We'll do a Europod tomorrow. This is The Guardian.